Um, let me pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, uh, actually, for your willingness to enter our reality, to enter this world in the most vulnerable way you could, and to live and to grow up and to suffer and to, to die, to walk through all of that, to, to be in relationship with people and share your heart and share your word, and then go to the cross and rise again and just complete the story. We thank you for all of that. And we ask that your spirit would be here with, here with us this morning as we seek to open your word and understand more of what you're saying to us about our witness in this world. We just ask that you would bring clarity, that anything that would be distracting, anything that would, uh, any emotion or uh, distraction in the room even that would keep us from hearing you would be diminished. That we would see your face. We pray that you would grab us by the cheeks and look into our eyes through these words this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, Tim Harper. Amen. Praise Jesus. I am glad you are here. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, we have been in three different series this fall. We started out, uh, we did like a worship series, then we did a word series, and now we're doing a witness series. And, and we've been praying about those three words for quite a while now. And so we wanted to, we're, we're in this, this t I think today's the third one of the, the witness series. So, um, so that's, if you're new, that's where we are. But uh, what I wanted to begin to say to you today is that the call of Christ on our lives that we're talking about is not easy, right? It may be somewhat simple in some ways, but it's not easy. And we are, as people, bound to fail in that, right? But God's call on our lives remains unchanged nevertheless, right? Um, and he offers us full restoration and forgiveness when we fall short in that calling, right? Uh, when we don't fulfill it or we shy away or we, you know, whatever we do. But, um, but here, here's, here's an important point. The repentant believers, and repentant is the, um, the key word there. The repentant believer is never disqualified from serving the Lord. Rather, our shortcomings and our failures and all of those things can serve to encourage and equip other people that are facing the same struggles in their lives at times. Um, but if you have kids, you know the answer to this question already, but if, have you ever had someone repeatedly ask you a question over and over again, even though your answer doesn't change, right? Um, what's for dinner, maybe? Like if you're a husband, you're always like, ask your wife, what's for dinner? Five minutes later, what's for dinner? And she gets frustrated with you. Um, or can I have some candy? You know, that's why we don't have candy in the back anymore because all the kids would come in here and climb up on there and get candy. I'm, all the moms and dads got mad at me. So, uh, but can I have some candy? Can I have some candy? You know, and you, your answer is always the same and it doesn't change, but your response does, doesn't it, right? And we see a similar situation with Peter and Jesus today in John chapter 21, and we, where Jesus asked them the same question three times in a row um, after the disciples are returning from this failed uh, uh, fishing trip. And interestingly, I just want to point out that at least seven of the disciples were probably fishermen, 
And maybe that's because fishermen are sort of courageous people, right? They're, Jesus needs brave souls to, to carry out his, his desires in the world. They are focused people. They're not easily sort of distracted. They don't give up too easily. They can take orders. They can work well with each other on the boat, that kind of thing. And in this story today, Peter needs to be reminded that he's a fisherman, right? Uh, but not as he had been in the past, obviously, but he, he can't actually return to what he was, which is kind of true of all of us. Once we meet Jesus, he overturns our lives and we can't return to what we were, or what we thought we were going to be at least. And uh, Jesus has new uses for his skills, so to speak. And so turn to page 742 in your pew Bibles if you can and uh, read along with me in John chapter 21, starting in verse 1. And leave your Bibles open there because we're going to kind of come back to it. Uh, and read it section by section. But let me preface by saying that the events of John chapter 21 take place at least eight days or eight days after the Resurrection Sunday, um, based on the timeline of the other gospel accounts. And in fact, John writes that Jesus appeared to them beside this lake, and this was the third time that he had come to them, right? It's the third time he's visited them. Now, in the first two instances, you'll remember that the disciples had been hiding behind closed doors in fear of their lives, most likely, and now they are returning to their former vocation of fishing, right? And Luke 8, 3 tells us that before the crucifixion, the needs of the disciples were met by basically charity, right? And possibly that support sort of dried up, you know, after the, you know, the crucifixion, so these guys go back to what they know, they go back to fishing, maybe to make a living. But their fishing trip's a failure. They don't catch anything. And we find the disciples returning to shore uh, with an empty boat when uh, Jesus calls them to throw their nets out on a certain side of the boat in, into the shallows. And so recognizing him, Peter reaches shore first, leaving his nets and he, as he had done before, right, to follow Jesus. One more time, he sort of turns his back on this catch and uh, to sit at Jesus' feet. It's, let's read in John chapter 21, starting in verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And if someone could grab me a bottle of water, that would be very kind of you. Thank you. So, uh, again, it was by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they uh, went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, and he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the, disciples whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as Simon Peter uh, heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I don't know if you like bread and fish for breakfast, but that's what they were getting. So, <laughs> But their efforts were in vain, right? They're out fishing, their efforts are in vain, and we wonder if they've sort of forgotten 
the words of Jesus that apart from me you can do nothing, right? It seems that way. And they toiled all night. They caught nothing. And Peter must have remembered what had happened two years earlier when Jesus had called him to full-time discipleship, if you remember that. And that, that story's in Luke chapter 5. And when he had, he had finished all night fishing then, and he had caught nothing at, at, at that time as well, right? And at that time, Jesus had sort of turned his failure into success. And uh, it was then, at that moment, that Jesus told him that he would be a fisher of men, right? This phrase that has been coined and we remember so well. And the, the, this instance sort of bookends their relationship. It's a reminder of Peter's purpose in Christ, isn't it? It really is. He should be fishing on land, not in a boat anymore. And uh, so Jesus called them to this task of being fishers of men, and he's called us to it as well. And it's a phrase that Jesus didn't invent, by the way. It was very common for Greek and Roman um, teachers to uh, say that a fisher of men meant that you just persuaded and, and convinced somebody to catch them with the truth, right? And uh, a fisherman, you know, at that time would catch fish and those fish would die, but the Christian witnesses catches men and those people, they are dead in their sin, but they become alive in Christ. It's the exact opposite. So fishermen, I think, are great examples for us to follow as we also become fishers of men. Fishers, fish are plentiful, they're all out there, or they're all around us, you know, we saw that video, we know we have plenty of friends and acquaintances at work and home and in our families and stuff like that, and I think that if we obey his directions well, we also would bring in a large catch, and that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Perhaps Peter's impulsiveness and his sort of self-confidence, his over-self-confidence uh, were revealing themselves again. He's sort of a bull in a china closet, and he was a sincere guy. He seemed to work hard at what he did, but he had no results this time, right? And some would say that they are sincerely working for the Lord's will, for the Lord, but, but maybe they're not really working in God's will. Maybe their labor is in vain. If, you know, serving without direction from the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, I'm not sure if we can expect great blessings in those work. So there's something to learn there. But the question to me really is, are we rowing or sailing in our boats, in our boats of life, so to speak? Because in a rowboat, right, you're, you're pulling along with your own strength. You're going slow. You're, you know, it's, it's difficult. But in a sailboat, you're, you, you utilize the wind. You cut through the water with ease. You're filled with the, the, the wind of the Spirit, allowing God to f- just blow you along to the rich pockets of fish out there in the water, right? You know, two years earlier, Peter was first called, as we had said, and, and Jesus told him to put out on the water at that time and drop his nets. And Peter had said at that moment, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Isn't that a great response? I think that also should be our response. Uh, when we see our efforts have been in vain. Because you say so, Jesus, I will put down the nets. I will do it again. I'll try one more time. Somebody the other night prayed at our, this is a little side note, prayed in our community group uh, that we would not be uh, discouraged in our past efforts when it comes to inviting people to Alpha for this thing. Um, 
that we would just put out the nets one more time, right? And I'm, I'm praying for that. Continue, continuing in verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was still not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So it seemed to be time for Jesus sort of to take over the situation again, right? Just as he had done when when he called Peter into discipleship the first time, he told them where to cast the net. And they obeyed, and they caught 153 fish. And the difference between success and failure was the width of the boat, which side of the boat you cast the net on, right? Um, and that, that, was, that was pretty cool. But we're never, you know, we're never really far from success, I don't think, uh, when we permit Jesus to give the answers or give the, give the orders. And we're usually closer than we realize. So I, I, I think God urges us to be prayerful about our time of inviting people to this Alpha thing. I'm really excited about uh, seeing who shows up. I know we've already got some yeses uh, from some people. But, you know, so we're, we're to be really prayerful about our sharing with others. Um, since it could be the matter of the right word at the right time which, you know, which side of the boat you cast the net on, so to speak, the Spirit can and will lead us in, the, in exactly what to say and when to say it. We have to trust the Lord in that, right? So be praying about all of those people that you might invite to the Alpha Course in January. Be praying for the right words. Be praying for the right moment and ask God, would, ask God to be uh, faithful to you in that. But Three invitations stand out in John's gospel. John chapter 1, he says, come and see. In John chapter 7, he says, come and drink. And then here in John uh, 21, he says, come and dine, come and eat, right? And, you know, you've got to look at that and you think how loving it is of Jesus to sort of feed Peter before he deals with his spiritual needs, right? Because there's going to be a conversation here. And that's a really good example for us to follow as we care for others. Caring for the physical can actually lead into the spiritual. My mother is a, an expert at hospitality. She's like top notch, you know. You go, you go to her house and if you go to the bathroom in her house, there's a stack of southern cooking and cooking whatever and cooking this magazine and all that stuff. She just loves to entertain for people. Um, and that's a good thing. And that's why we're going to be sharing dinner with people in Alpha for 11 straight weeks, 12, actually 12, because we have the Saturday away. But it continues in verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus, or he said, yes, Lord, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And yet the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep, right? Now, this question to Peter would have been a direct reminder 
of Peter's claim that he would never, ever abandon the Lord, right? He would never walk away. Well, even if everybody else scattered, he would, he would remain faithful. That's in Matthew chapter 26. To, to have such a joyous, nice encounter with the Lord right there by the side of the, the, the Sea of Galilee, a, a wonderful meal, dampened by this very public reminder of his gross failing, must have been very embarrassing and convicting for Peter, I would think. But it wasn't intended to be cruel. Even though Peter was hurt by the, question, the third question, at least, it wasn't intended to be cruel. Instead, we see that Jesus has deeper reasoning and deeper purpose in asking these questions. One commentator writes, Jesus asked the question twice using the word agapas, which speaks of an all-giving, uh, uncaused, unselfish love. Peter answered Jesus using the word filio, which was in my, has in mind reciprocal love, a friendly affection, and some translate, uh, translations express Peter's answer as, I'm your friend, right? So twice Jesus asked Peter, do you love me as deeply as you claimed to before? And not yet seeming you know, satisfied or content with, his, with Peter's answer and his promise of friendship, Jesus asked him one more time, do you love me? Again, the call of, to follow Christ is not an easy one, right? And we will fail at it at times. You know, when faced with the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, which I hate to even mention, I just want that thing to go away, right? In the beginning, <laughs> amen. Um, in the beginning of 2020, there was a woman named Beth Kirchner uh, and several other uh, crewmates aboard the Africa Mercy who did ministry aboard or by going around to different countries in this ship. And uh, they had to make a difficult decision as to whether or not they would climb on a plane and evacuate the ship and go back to America or they would stay and continue their ministry throughout the pandemic. They were in Senegal at the time. And whatever their choice, there would be no turning back. They, didn't, they couldn't just you know, wish, be wishy-washy about this. And there was really no time to sit and pray long over this or think about it a long time. They had to make a quick decision, and they had to live with that decision. And so Beth made the heart-wrenching decision to stay on as many of her other shipmates got on the plane, the last flight out of Senegal. And uh, for Kirchner and the rest of the crew that chose to wait and stay on there, that choice was not an easy one, right? They wondered if God dwelt in the sort of the mystery and he met people in their indecision and their, and their unsurety, right? There will be moments, I think, in our lives when a similar question is placed before us, right? Do we really love the Lord enough to risk everything? including life, including career, including health? Or are we just friends, friendly people that sort of hide away and walk away when the going gets tough? You know, as Jesus questioned Peter about his love, he was also making Peter uh, to, to face a final decision on his own about whether or not he would move forward in his calling to be a fisher of men, as he had been first called. And the question he actually asked was pro probably more meant, uh, would have been better said, do you love me, Peter, as you have claimed, 
more than these other disciples love me. Right? And the reason I say that is because Peter had boasted of his love, contrasting it with the other disciples. He had said, I will lay down my life for you, back in John 13. In Matthew 26, he said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Big, big, big words, big promises, right? And it all hints to a pride in Peter that he believed he loved the Lord more than all the other disciples did. But Peter found out, as we all do, the older we get, if you're young, you may not know this, you may be still young and arrogant, but we get cut down to size, don't we? We really do. Peter found out he wasn't as devoted as he thought he would be. You know, his denial of Christ was actually a sin of pride and of cowardice which needed to be confronted and amended with Jesus. It really did. You know, um, Peter stood by the fire, if you remember that story, when he had denied Christ. He was standing by a fire of coals, and now he's sitting by a fire of coals being confronted by Christ. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is making him to consider all their time together, all the moments, all the words, every experience, and he's calling him to final task. And Peter needed to resolve this between he and Jesus, or he may not have become the man that Jesus wanted him to be. And we can imagine how hard it was to sit around that fire uh, being asked those questions, you know, all in a row with all the other guys sitting there listening in. Peter had been so excited. He had, you know, jumped out of the boat and ran to Jesus first. He wasn't really the most well thought out of guys. He was reactive. He was emotional, things like that. And he may have thought, you know, I hope Jesus doesn't bring up my denials. I hope we can just let that one go. <laughs> I hope, I hope he, we don't have to talk about that. But Jesus couldn't let it go. He couldn't let it go. He's not a purveyor of cheap grace, is he? He needs to confront these things in us. Very famous quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession, absolution without uh, personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That's a great quote, isn't it? Jesus' love calls us to repentance of our sin because it's in repentance that we find freedom and restoration to purpose in him. Maybe you've denied Christ, right? Maybe, maybe you've stood by while conversations happen, happen at work or at home or out with friends or whatever, you know, and the Spirit is nudging you to say something, to speak up in defense of the gospel, in clarity of the gospel, but, but you didn't, you know, because it might cost you friendship or promotion or it might just make things awkward and you'll, you don't want to have to deal with that. We've all done that. Peter had denied publicly, right? So there must be a public restoration. Uh, sin should be dealt with only to the extent that it is known, 
really, in the body of Christ. Private sins should be confessed in private. Public sins should be expressed in public. And we see that quite often these days with pastors that have fallen and they have to make a public apology. You know, uh, since Peter had denied the Lord three times, Jesus asked him these three personal questions. And he also encouraged him by giving him a threefold commission, didn't he? He said, you know, and all of this restored Peter to ministry. He said, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. It continues, verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said to this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus knew that this was not going to be easy for Peter. Jesus knew the trials and the eventual death that Peter would face as a result of his relationship with Jesus. He'd face failure and he'd face success in in his role. He'd see both of those. Peter needed to know that he would be able to face all of those risks and disappointments and failures and dangers continuing on his work despite those things facing him. By asking the the question three times, he cemented Peter's uh, response in his heart and his mind, didn't he? It really sunk it in. In Peter's response to Jesus, we see a man now that is humbled before the Lord because of his past failures. But we also see a man who is determined to show everyone, including himself, that his love and his devotion are still alive and still real despite his failures and his shortcomings. The first time Jesus spoke about his own death, you'll remember that Peter had opposed it back in Matthew 16. Peter had even used his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember that, in this futile attempt to protect Jesus. He cut off that guy's ear. Yet Peter had boasted that he would die for him. Remember all that. I like Peter. He's kind of an unwieldy dude, right? But when the pressure was on... Peter failed, (laughs) as I often do, and I'm sure you often do. Anyone who yields himself, anyone who gives themselves over to serve Jesus must honestly confront the two matters of failure and of death. You got to face those things. And when those matters are settled in our heart, then we're ready to really serve and live uh, for the Lord boldly in this life. Jesus' own death is is a repeated theme in John's gospel. He, He knew his hour would come. He was prepared to obey the Father's will. We, as his followers, again, also must yield ourselves to him just as he yielded himself for us. Becoming living sacrifices, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 speak of, ready to be offered up if it be God's will, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Jesus' words, follow me, to Peter here, must have brought brought new joy. Literally, Jesus said, keep on following me. That's what he literally said. 
It's as if he had never stopped, right? Jesus didn't think that Peter was all washed up because of that. Immediately, Peter began to follow Jesus just as he had done before. And for a moment, Peter had taken his eyes off of the Lord, right? It's a mistake that he's made at least two other times in his, in his uh, time with him. After that first great catch of fish, Peter took his eyes off the Lord and put them on himself. And he said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. When he was walking on the water, you remember that, right? On the stormy sea with Jesus. Peter looked away from the Lord and began to look at the wind and the waves, at his circumstances, and immediately he began to sink. It's dangerous to look at circumstances instead of at Christ, to be distracted by ourselves, our circumstances, or other Christians is actually to disobey and get derailed from God's will. Hence my prayer when we first started that we keep our eyes and our face on him at all times and him alone, which is easier said than done. But the image of Peter now is not just a fisher of men, but it's a shepherd as well. Peter became both evangelist and pastor, didn't he? He really did. And that is what we're all called to become, evangelists and pastors, sharing Jesus with those who don't know him and discipling them along as they come into that relationship in the community of faith. Three admonitions are given to Peter. Feed my, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. And that is becomes, because lambs and more mature sheep all need feeding and leading. There are enemies out there that are seeking to destroy the flock, and shepherds stay alert, and they stay on guard, and they are courageous to protect and to guide. As believers, we will sometimes face hardships which will make us question our worthiness to serve the Lord, but whether we stand or whether we fall, God's call on our lives remains unchanged. As his children, we are called to be Christ's ambassadors. We really are. An ambassador to the world for the gospel. And he always offers us full restoration and forgiveness, which empowers us to pick up and to carry on when we fall short of that. The good news of the gospel is that the repentant believer, those who come before the Lord and humble themselves before the Lord after they've made a mistake, is never disqualified from serving the Lord. Our shortcomings can actually help to serve and encourage other people who might find themselves in the same situation. As others see our continued, and, and continued efforts and love and our trust in the Lord, despite difficulties in life, the gospel will continue to spread. I would add there that It's important that we be real people, right? That we, we are open about our struggles. That we don't act perfect, <laughs> right? I don't think that anybody that would show up to Alpha and we're sitting around dinner and, and everything, if you put on airs that you're like, you've got it all together, they're not gonna believe you. I wouldn't believe you, right? And I think there's room in the gospel for that. And it's actually more attractive. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you're, you are king of kings and lord of lords. We thank you that you are 
here and you are present. I just these intimate moments sitting by the Sea of Galilee or sitting around a campfire cooking fish and eating bread and talking and, and uh, being confronted by you is precious. They're, they're intimate, wonderful moments. And we are so grateful for them. And we're so grateful that those disciples, their stories are not that unique, that they apply to us, that what Peter did, we do, that how Peter acted and thought, we act and think. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's anybody in this room that needs to repent, that needs to put their heart back in your hands, that they would do that and that we would move forward in our gospel calling. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, if you open those pew Bibles to page 784, I want to show you where the Lord's Supper is, is found in there. And we're going to celebrate that today. If, if you have not made a decision to, to walk with Jesus in this life, we ask that you refrain from this. This is a, this is a, a, a table for, for those that have given their heart to the Lord Jesus. There's no shame in that. It's not weird. Nobody's even going to notice if you go up at all. But... Um, you, you can observe and you can understand why we do this, but um, we're going we're gonna to practice that in a few minutes, but as we, as we do that, uh, before we do that, we want to read through the, the Apostles' uh, Creed together. So stand up, and uh, I'm going to start reading out loud, and I would ask that you would just follow along with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. That was what we've been hearing for a few months now and all these sermons. So if you look in uh, page 784 in your pew Bibles, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, go down to verse 23. And it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We are celebrating what Christ has done for us. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us and we want to do that well. So take the time to be prayerful, to uh, ask for forgiveness if you need to, uh, even to step out of the room and make a phone call and ask for forgiveness from somebody else. Uh, that's appropriate or to grab somebody in here. 
um, and ask there for forgiveness. Because we don't want to bring all that stuff to the table. Let's do this, let's do this well. So from now to the end of the service, the tables are open. You can come up whenever you're ready to take the elements. Just take the, the cracker and dip it in the, in the wine. Amen.